This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 48. You know, some people are like trees. They take forever to grow up. Apparently, this kid missed that memo. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. Today, I'm your host, Jason Hertzberger. Today's episode is pretty special. This is episode three in the series of the AAYP, Annoyingly Amazing Young Person series. And today's guest is incredible. Today, I'm interviewing Felix Finkbeiner. Felix is a 20-year-old currently going to university in London, but as for why he qualifies for this category, catch some of these details. At the age of nine, this kid did a school project based on trying to find ways to improve the climate situation on the planet. It was part of his project at school. That project where he decided to start planting trees in his native country of Germany. He has since now 11 years later formed that vision that came out of that school project into an international organization that's called Plants for the Planet that has a global goal of planting one trillion, with a T, trillion trees, new planted trees throughout the planet and they are not too far into that project. Only 11 years in, they've now accomplished a meager 15.2 billion. That's 15.2 billion trees that have been planted through some of the initiatives that this organization started. It started in 2007, like I said, just 11 years ago when this kid was nine years old. Three years later, in, 2000, in 2011, Felix, at the ripe age of 12, all of 12, was speaking in front of the UN General Assembly, talking about this project, its meaning, and how it could be adopted in other countries. Since then, as of right now, they have trained and established more than 67,000 climate justice ambassadors that to qualify for that. These are children that are between the ages of 9 and 12 to work within their own communities to try to put in place tree planting projects within their own communities across the globe. Needless to say, this kid's been a little busy through his teens. Um, he's established one hell of an organization and has accomplished more than most adults that I have ever met in my life. And like I said, he's now all of 20. Uh, their organization's website is www.plantfortheplanet with a dash in between each of those four words, plantfortheplanet.org. Please check them out. They are incredible. That is all I'm going to say here for the intro because I want to leave the conversation with Felix and some more of the details to the conversation. With that being said, I, without further ado, I give you Felix Finkbeiner. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Felix, thanks for coming on the show. 
I'm very happy to be here. So in in the intro to the show that the audience just heard, they heard a little bit of a background of you and your organization and sort of when you started it and whatnot. But obviously there's more to you, you know, Felix the human than just, you know, when you started the your organization. So why don't you just sort of give the audience a little bit of a background about you and your organization and sort of what got you interested in this area in the first place? Well, I grew up in a little town in southern Germany, in, in, in Bavaria. And in my fourth grade class, my teacher had asked all of us students to give a little presentation um, about the climate crisis. And back then, the polar bear was my favorite animal. And in preparing for that presentation, I found out that the polar bear was in danger. Okay. Um, so, so I went to do something about it. And when we had to give that presentation, I called my presentation, How to Save the Polar Bear. Okay. And uh, my solution for that, or my answer, was planting trees and planting lots of trees. And somehow I was able to convince some of my classmates that we should be starting to plant trees. And uh, a few weeks later, we planted our first tree together. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few weeks, um, yeah, or, or soon after that, some other students from other schools found out about it, especially because there were a few local journalists that had written about our little activity. And then they started planting trees in their schools as well. And soon after, some students even from different cities um, started planting trees. And in those first few months, um, we had an uh, incredible amount of media reports about our activities. And so people all around the country found out and started joining. And we had a student who was just a bit older. He was about to graduate back then. We were fourth graders. Mm -hmm. And that older student he set up a very simple website for us, which was essentially just a ranking among local schools Mm -hmm. of who had planted the most trees. And increasingly, um, students tried to out-compete their neighboring schools. And they were like, you know, you know those school rivalries that exist all around the world. Oh, sure. And and because of that, it it really took off in these competitions. And after the first year, we had planted about 50,000 trees. After about three years, we had um, planted... Um, one million trees in Germany. And soon after, we also achieved this goal of the one million trees in, in a few other countries. And this is really where we started thinking about, you know, where do we go from here, right? Our initial goal was plant one million trees in each country of the world. And then our goal, we, we didn't know where to go next. Sure. So um, we started asking some, we, we had a few big questions like, how many trees exist, exist in the world? Mm-hmm. And how many additional trees can we plant? So we started asking some scientists, asking them these very questions. But we soon noticed that nobody really had any answers to these questions. Mm-hmm. So we started asking lots and lots of scientists, and, and nobody, nobody could answer them. But after a while, we found three at Yale University okay. who were willing to try and find answers um, for these questions for us. So they did a three-year research project. Wow. And the first result, the first thing they concluded is that the world has about three trillion trees. Um, And this is the first time that we really knew we had an accurate estimate of how many trees existed in the world. Um, And what does that mean? We have three trillion trees. That's about half as many trees as we used to have. Mm -hmm. So about 11,000 years ago, before humans started seriously interacting um, with the global ecosystem, we had about six trillion trees. Now we have some about three trillion trees. That's the first thing they found out. And then in the next project, what they found out is that we could plant about another one trillion trees around the world. 
And this was for us the really important information because that has now become our target to convince the world to plant these one trillion trees. Because if we manage to plant them, they would capture about a quarter of human carbon emissions. Okay. So they wouldn't solve the climate crisis, obviously, sure. but they'd have a it, they'd be a big step in the right direction. Sure, twenty five percent is a big chunk. Yeah, exactly. And they could they would give us some time to reduce our global um, carbon emissions, right? Because we um, we two years ago the governments of the world signed um, the Paris Agreement, mm. and that is a wonderful step and an incredibly important step in the right direction. Sure. But far too little is happening um, to implement that that sure. um, Paris Agreement. Um, obviously, from the American side, but also from from several other countries around the world who are just not um, doing enough. Sure. So, the trillion trees can help us bridge that gap a bit. So that's the one part. But obviously, these trees have incredible other benefits in regards to protecting biodiversity mm-hmm. in in regards to um, improving agriculture and improving the quality or the amount of water that's available in dry parts of the world. Um, And obviously they can also create millions of jobs through the planting of those trees, but also through through the resources um, that develop as a result of these trees. So it's really a, a wonderful complex package of lots and lots of benefits. Even someone, even someone who doubts the climate crisis, Mm -hmm. right? Um, even they can get get behind the trillion trees because even if you don't believe that the climate crisis exists, there are still so many obvious reasons that we should be planting those trees. That's it's a great and, it's a great point you brought that up because as as I was coming into this interview, that was one of the first questions that I was going to ask you because there's when it when it comes to the, this the issue of the environment has become politicized it's become a my team versus their team issue just like unfortunately everything else that we talk about that should be common sense across the board so i when whenever i have a whenever i have a discussion with somebody on an issue that's seemingly political my my default angle to the conversation is Okay, you believe this extreme point. Okay, fine. I might believe this extreme point. Okay, fine. What's that's 20 like we each have our 15 to 20% of the issue that we cling to as if it as if we're religious zealots. But then there's that 60, 70% in the middle where we absolutely agree. It's like, yes, we could have more. It's like in use the environment use the environment as an example. One might believe one might believe the most extreme perspective on the climate argument in that it is it is like it is human's fault it is solely our fault we can solve it we can simply solve it by doing xyz and then there's the other extreme is it's a chinese hoax but at the end of the day the planting whether you plant trees or whether you don't plant trees it doesn't matter to either one of those sides what the hell's the difference it's like it, it's either incredibly beneficial to one side or totally neutral to the other it's not negative to either side so why not i i view a lot of political issues that way and it's a, this is a, this is one of those issues where i very much i i love that you pointed that out because that's the big argument it's like oh my god here's just another he's like here's just another millennial kid that's just trying to tell us how we're i'm like Look, yes, but he's not doing it by saying go go into the country, shut down every corporation, and shut down all carbon emissions starting next year. He's saying stop talking about it and just go plant a goddamn tree. 
It's like the just do something. Stop talking. Like I love that campaign that you had. The that that advertising campaign of the stop talking, start planting. That was a magnificent, but that was a magnificent marketing campaign. Like, thank you. Was that now? I have to ask you: Was that yours, or did somebody give you that brilliant idea? No, it wasn't. It wasn't my idea. It's actually there's a advertising agency that helps us pro bono, and they've okay. been supporting us for many, many years, and they've come up with so many of these amazing ideas, yeah. um, like the campaign "Stop Talking, Start Planning." Yeah. I, I agree to you to a large extent that in a country where um, the climate crisis has become as politicized as in the U.S., yeah. which obviously is only a tiny minority of the world's countries, right? This isn't, so. um, this isn't a problem that exists across the board. It's really just the U.S. and to a lesser extent in a few other countries. Sure. But in such countries, um, there's a way to communicate about the Trillion Tree campaign mm-hmm. and, and our vision of reforestation in other ways. But I would like to emphasize that obviously um, the climate crisis isn't really of one side versus the other side, as in a lot of topics in the U.S., there's a lot more support for the one side than there is for the other side, even sure. though the one one part of it is um, more, rather rather vocal, quite loud, sure. or almost e- e- equally vocal as the as the um, the climate scientists in the U.S. Sure. But yeah, so this is this 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 trillion tree idea essentially came became our vision. It's what we are trying to convince the world that, and. One of the big questions is obviously what's the cost, right? How is it? How much is it going to cost us to implement it? Sure. And um, if you, the cost of planting a tree and then caring for the tree mm-hmm. um, in countries of the global south would be about one dollar per tree, um, okay. maybe maybe a, a tiny bit more, but that's per, roughly the price per year. No, in general. Okay. No, in general. Um, once this includes planting and then caring for these trees, obviously not all trees survive, but then you can of course. Um, restore them that way as well. That's roughly that's roughly the price that we we are at, which mm-hmm. is a lot. A trillion sounds like a lot. It's a trillion dollars, but if you sure, consider, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you consider that the most recent um, you know tax cut in the U.S. right, that actually that's going to cost the U.S. government 1.4 trillion mm-hmm. over the next four years, so uh, 10 years, sorry. So with that money, with simply that money, you could plant a trillion trees globally. But the impact of a trillion trees is by far greater. The positive impact of the trillion trees is by far greater um, than the impact on the, the, um, that the tax cut could theoretically have on the U.S. economy. So if, if you think about it, and there's benefits for so, so millions and billions of people around the world by doing something like that. Sure. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree. Now, the, the when you mentioned about go go back however many years before before humans started to interact ex- on, in any real extreme way with the environment, you mentioned then there were roughly, according to the Yale study, there were roughly six trillion trees. Now there's three trillion trees. We're trying to plant one one million to bring it back up to four. Now one trillion, yes. Yep. Now, sorry. Now. Speaking to like, I'm not, this isn't really per se a devil's advocate question. It's just a legit curiosity. Obviously (laughs) we, we interact with our environment. Uh, That's a very nice way of saying we cut down trees to make room for people is basically what we're is. That's really the reality of what we're doing. We cut that, we cut down a forest to make room for farmland. We cut down a, a forest to make room for a village or a city or whatever it is. So I guess my, my question is where are you putting these trees? Because obviously 
I mean, there's not there's not that many, uh, at least not anymore, and uh, at, at least and or and please feel free to stop me if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm wrong. Here. No, that's but like there's not that many industries that are still out there that are cutting down trees for fun. Like the, that either that lumber is being used for something or it's being the land is simply being cleared to make room for humans and some variation of our impact. Like I said, whether that be agricultural or urban development or whatever it is. So if we're planting those trees back, I'm curious where are the pl- trees that you're planting? going are they going right in the middle of everyone's front yard are they going on publicly owned land yeah that's a yeah that's a very good question you're raising and obviously that that's that's exactly what those scientists at Yale were concerned about um when we asked them to tell us how many trees could be planted mm-hmm. this was all based on the idea where would we have space to plant trees Got it. and the answer is that globally we have about 2 billion um hectares um, of land that's available, okay. right? Um, and that's currently available. And all of this this used to be um, it used to be forest, obviously, back when we had the six trillion, mm-hmm. um, was then cut down at some point. Most of them in the last um, about hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and these two billion hectares are land that's currently not being used, okay, um, for agriculture, for for settlements, for anything like that. Um, but obviously, our population is going to increase by 2050. Of Today, we have about seven and a half billion. By then, we will likely have nine to 10 billion uh, people. And because of that, also agricultural needs are going to, um, are going going to, to increase. Explode. So we can't, we can't use these entire two billion hectares uh, for forests. Sure. But um, depending on what exactly, which scenario exactly you are applying, um, we can plant, um, we can restore about a 600 billion mature trees, mm-hmm. right? So these are, we could have another 600 billion big, um, big trees around the world. Okay. Um, and we need, a, we need to plant about, um, without competing with agriculture. Sure. Right. So, um, we need to plant about a trillion trees to end up with six, 600 billion okay. uh, mature trees, because obviously, um, Anyone who's ever thought about uh, or planted trees knows that not all of them survive and <laughs> yeah. and force force develop right. You some some die, some become very big. Yep. So about a trillion, and then we have six hundred billion mature trees. Yep. So this answers your question. And because you raised um, current deforestation, mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to talk a bit about that. I guess we currently lose about ten billion trees every year. Okay. Trees being cut down um, right now, and into, to some extent they are being cut down for for agricultural needs. But it's it's not because there's a there's a lack of um, agricultural areas around the world. It's just that often um, for, um, forest lands, especially rainforest lands, are very fertile, sure. especially just just after you cut down the forests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then a few years later, it's depending on what kind of crop you plant. This land uses value because the soil becomes less fertile. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that land is used for a very short period of time and then often discarded afterwards. Got it. So I, that's that's a very important um, idea to note. It's not that. There's, you know, this is how much um, human civilization needs, and we just cut down forests just when we need more. We've destroyed a lot of forests and ended up not using that land for anything. Okay, so we haven't replanted. Exactly, and this yeah. is where we have that potential 
um, for massive global reforestation. Got it. Now, is that is that an angle that you're taking with both you know your European and also just other global governments? Like, is that the angle that you're taking? Is like that you have this land that was used for agriculture. 65 years ago, but right now it's just sitting, whether it's publicly owned or privately owned, but you just have what used to be fertile farmland, which is no longer fertile farmland. Let us in and let us just sort of blanket that area with a tree farm. Like, is that sort of what the, is that sort of the angle that you're taking with that type of, with that type of property? I call it property. Like with that type of land, like, is that the angle that you're taking with that sort of land? Or yeah, obviously, obviously, that land always always has very different stories, and we're trying to encourage um, lots of different actors to get involved in this um, mm-hmm. forestation. Obviously, we are talking to governments. We are trying to get governments encourage governments um, to get involved in reforestation, but we are also talking a lot to philanthropists okay. and to large companies so that they can um, get involved in reforestation as well. When we do do those things, the, the, the question of who owns the land obviously is always um, interesting. Of course. You, want, um, you want someone um, where you can believe or trust that they will then um, continue to protect that forest, right? You don't want to sure. um, um, plant that on someone's private land who then says, thank you, I shall <laughs> make use of all of those trees in, in five years from now. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, actually, let me first point out that actually using wood is a good thing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with with using wood, um, and actually, if you turn a wood, it, if you turn a tree into a wooden building, mm-hmm. then the carbon that was originally stored by that tree continues to be stored in that building. Mm-hmm. So, so these wooden buildings are uh, are sort of carbon six, and today, actually, about ten um, percent of all CO two emissions are caused by concrete and steel for construction. If we manage to replace this with wooden buildings, then we could save a lot of carbon emissions. So that's just to say that using wood is a good thing. But obviously, we want we want these forests to be able to develop and um, otherwise. Um, so so you can use some selective logging and some use some of the some of the trees. But in general, we need to grow our global forests. Got it. So because of that, the question is how do we protect those those? And I think in many parts of the world. The governments, stable governments are always really good at um, protecting forests, mm-hmm. um, especially in many European government, um, governments and in, in, the North, in North America, it's the same. And I, um, there's also many NGOs that I think can be, can be trusted um, in protecting these lands and turning them into reserves. There's fantastic global NGOs that um, spend a lot of time um, protecting forests. I think that's, for instance, the Nature Conservancy organizations like that. And um, when such land can be turned into into holdings of such foundations, they are really good at protecting them in the long run. Got it. Are, are there any other large scale NGOs that sort of are go tos for people that are listening if they want to look up organizations that are actually doing that are doing this work? Um, we're currently actually starting to partner with um, three very um, big. Um, environmentalist organizations that are helping us with this trillion tree vision. Mm-hmm. The first one is um, WWF. Okay. Um, and then it's WCS, the World Conservation Society, and also BirdLife International. But actually, that point you're raising of of connecting to NGOs that that do tree planting and forest protection is something that we've thought about a lot. Because if you, for instance, 
wanted to plant a tree, but um, didn't know um, where to plant that tree or didn't, didn't want to do it yourself, right? You just want to make sure that tree, more trees are planted, but you just don't have the free time to plant trees yourself. How, how are you going to do that? Or if you wanted to plant some trees in India, um, how are you going to find a good NGO to, to plant trees for you there? Mm-hmm. So this is something that we've thought about a lot. And we noticed that nobody really had found a solution for this. Mm-hmm. So we decided to build, build the solution ourselves. And this is going to be the platform for the Trillion Tree Campaign. We actually have, currently have four developers working on the platform full-time right now. And it's going to launch in about three months. Cool. And we kind of like to think of it as, a, as the, the Uber for tree planting by making it as, um, as easy as possible for everyone, for anyone to plant trees. So any user can quickly set up a profile. Mm-hmm. And if you plant trees yourself, mm-hmm. you can report these trees, right? You plant trees in your backyard. You go there with your phone. It, it sees a location and you take a picture. And then you can show off in your tree counter that you've planted that one tree. But... Um, if you then don't want to plant a tree yourself, you just want to donate a tree instead, you can just find any one of, of dozens of tree planting projects all around the world that are registered in the platform mm-hmm. and then donate these trees directly um, to these NGOs through the platform. That's awesome. Um, and then you can share those trees that you've planted, your own personal tree counter on social media and get your friends involved in in planting more trees as well. So this is something that we're really excited about. Um, and it's going to launch in, um, in June of this year. Oh, that's great. I can't wait for that to happen. I would imagine. Yeah, no, I'd, lo- I'd love to, I'd love to get an update on that down the road when the, the, just to sort of see how that's rolling out. Now uh, that actually touches on, that actually touches on what was going to be my next question was, you know, be, being some, being somebody who has studied the environment and enjoys nature as I, as I do, one thing that's obviously a concern for people that love actually spending time in nature is the existence of invasive species. So like I always, I always sort of, when I was looking at the website that I didn't see initially any information specifically about this is that how do you say, choose what are the trees that are getting planted? Like, is there a provider of, oak trees somewhere in the U S that provide the saplings for everything that you do globally, or is it, are the trees locally sourced so that they're not an invasive species for the area? Like, how is that, how is that process handled? That's a very, very good process. That's a very good question because it would be a huge mistake to plant the same types of trees all around the world. Absolutely. Um, Not just because they wouldn't be able to grow there and not just because they would be an invasive species, but also because you want to plant um, biodiversity and protect local biodiversity. Absolutely. So you want to plant lots of different species and trees that grow there mm-hmm. in these, these places. So we obviously don't um, make these choices out of the spur of the moment, but we, we work with um, a research lab that we helped um, start at a European university called ETH Zurich in Switzerland. Okay. It's a research lab with 20 scientists and they advise us um, on, on all of those research efforts, we, uh, on all of these uh, um, restoration efforts we do. Um, I told you about those three scientists at Yale, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the three people that are leading that institute now um, in, in Switzerland and they advise us on, on these kinds of things. And obviously we talk to local experts in the countries in which we're active. So we make uh, we make sure that we plant the best types of trees in each of these countries and plant the diversity of different trees. That's great. Now, let let's let's rew- let's rewind a little bit. 
when you first started this organization, how, how old were you when you first started the organization? I was nine years old. Nine years old. And you're how old now? I'm 20 now. Got it. So you've been doing this for 11 years, like more than literally more than half your life. I have, yeah. But obviously, um, you said when I started the organization, when we started it, it wasn't like we were gonna we were gonna start an organization. We were sure. just a, a few kids planting a few trees, and it just along the way it became something. Got it. Got it. Now, when when you when you decided to take the, when you decided to take that leap to actually going from a couple of friends planting trees to competing with some other kids at another school, planting some trees to actually forming the, like the birth of what the organization is today. When did that process happen? Like what, when did you decide or when did you decide or when did somebody around you basically whack you upside the head and say, Hey, there's actually a thing here. There's actually like a really, there's a real thing here. Like you can actually turn this into an organization with real global reach. Like when, when did that happen? Like I assume that didn't necessarily happen when you were nine years old, like that, when did that transition happen to you to from, Hey, we're a bunch of kids doing something just because either it's fun or we think it's important to, Let's form what's going to be an international nonprofit organization that does this for the next 50 years. That that's a, that's not those two things are not the same thing. Like so that transition yeah. had to happen at some point. When did that happen and what made that happen? You're right. I don't think there wasn't the one single moment mm-hmm. when we transitioned from a couple of kids to an international organization. There obviously were many steps along the way, and I guess many steps where we realized, oh, this is bigger than we thought. This could be bigger than we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there were a lot of these moments in that first year when it kept like we kept surprising ourselves with how fast up we were growing and then about one year pretty much one year into after we started no actually two years after we started okay. um, the, the UN invited us to an international um, children youth conference okay. where I met lots of environmentally conscious and active children youth from all around the world that conference back then was in South Korea okay and I told them about our project and asked who would be wanting to, to help us expand and who wanted to join in, in the project in their country. And we had over 100 kids from 58 countries um, that were, wanted, to, wanted to help us spread the message and start in their countries. Mm-hmm. So this is when, when it really became global. Before that, it was just a few countries, and this is when it um, really became global. Um, so that was one of these moments. Another moment was when we started organizing our Plan for the Planet Academies. These are one-day workshops mm-hmm. at which we empower um, young kids. These, the, the participants learn about the climate crisis, the importance of planting trees, and they are just engaged or, or shown how easy it is to, um, to, to start getting active and planting some trees. So we've now organized over 1,000 such academies all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, with now over um, 70,000 people that have participated in these academies and become climate justice ambassadors, become our members. Um, so that was obviously a big, big step for us. And another, another thing that we did along the way that's now become very important to us is our project in Campeche, Mexico, mm-hmm. 
Um, have you ever been to the been to Cancun or the the area? I've never been to Cancun. I've been to the west coast of of Mexico, but I've never been on on the eastern side of the of the country. Okay. So so very very close to close to Cancun, we um, we had originally done a project with that state of Campeche, and um, just looking at their their restoration projects they have in the state. And in the process, we found out that from the projects that go on. You have an average survival rate of about 22%, um, which means, yes, that is very low, which means you're investing all of that money into tree planting yeah. and then 80% of it goes to waste. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to just show that it's, it's possible to do it more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started a little project there and now we have 78 employees that plant about one tree every 15 seconds. Okay. So that's about um, 2 million trees a year. Okay, and they do that at a survival rate of ninety four percent. Jeez, how, um, how did they get that number up so high? Well, there's um, several things we obviously did. The first one is we take particular care of what kind of trees we plant, right? That's the first thing. Sure. Um, that you plant the right trees in the right places. Um, but I think the mo- the thing that makes the most difference is caring for these trees in the first initial months, um, and after you planted them, and particularly in the first three to four years. After about four years, trees generally um, fend for themselves very well. Yeah. Um, but those th- three to four years is where you have to pay particular attention. And about two-thirds of the work we do isn't the actual tree planting process itself, but the caring for these trees afterwards. Um, um, getting rid of, of, of the weeds around them that in some cases grow to the point where the, those trees can't grow themselves effectively. In some cases, you need to provide water. So these kinds of things. Okay. And then you can then you can become a lot more effective. But all of this process, planting those trees and caring for these trees, it just costs us about pretty much exactly one euro per tree. So just a bit more um, than a dollar to plant and care for those trees there. So this is something that we really want to expand in the next years. I I said, I told you we currently plant at a rate of 2 million trees a year, but we have the goal of planting 100 million trees there in the next 10 years. So we really want to... um, increase that project a lot um, sure. and get a lot of trees planted there. Sure. Now, what one one funny question that I always that always occurred to me whenever I'm thinking about different nonprofit organizations that have a particular targeted goal, like for example, I'm going to throw them under the bus, the American Heart Association, or like what what organizations that are focused on domestic violence or whatever whatever the issue might be. There's their goals are always very, very vague. Um, so just me, me and my business school marketing brain, I can't help myself in thinking, well, of course it's done that way. It's so that they can never go out of business. Like they, they keep their vision incredibly wide ranging so that they can never go out of, because one would, one would assume the goal of say an American heart association is once they cure and eliminate heart disease, they put themselves out of a job and the organization shuts itself down. Obviously they don't want, nobody wants to do that. So they kind of start to sort of shift the focus a little bit. In your case, your your goal, the goal for your organization is laser focused. One trillion trees, mic drop. Like that's the like the goal is one trillion trees. Boom, done. 
So my question for you is when you hit that goal, what are you going to, what do you, what's, do you have other goals that you're planning on working on in the meantime to sort of vary the vision or are you staying laser focused on that? And when you hit that, you'll worry about later, later, like, or what, what else not like, because not to, not to throw, you know, ageism at this or anything, but you've got a few years to go before you decide to retire. So you hit that trillion tree mark, which I have no doubt that you're going to do with the progress that you've made already. What the hell are you going to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> you know, well, That's, that's nothing, not something I've ever worried about. And it's going to take, it, it is still a huge project or it is a huge project to achieve these trillion trees. And that's going to take us for a while. And, um, and then there's, there's always going to be new tasks for me. I'm not, I'm, I'm in no way um, concerned with that. Gotcha. Yeah. Is it, are there, are there any other causes, I guess, either in the same realm or in other realms that interest you? Like if you, if you find yourself with free time outside of going to school full time and running an international nonprofit full time and standing in front of the U, the UN general assembly, talking about your organization full time with all that spare time that you have in your day, <laughs> what it is like, what else do you like to concern yourself with? Well, first of all, like I think there's two parts of your question: the the, the issues and what else I like to do in my life. Um, the first part is the trees is, are are just a part of the solution to the climate crisis, and the climate crisis is something that I believe is the biggest challenge of our generation, the biggest challenge we're facing. Mm-hmm. So, um, even should should we achieve those trillion trees, or should we, uh, or when we achieve them, um, the trillion the, the climate crisis won't be solved yet, and I will continue um to work on that um that being said to the to more private a part of my life when i when i don't work on plant for the planet and don't um don't go to school i like to to dance a lot i do to dance classes and stuff like that really well uh my my wife my wife and i met dancing what what kind of dancing oh really yeah um latin and ballroom that's so quite a lot of different things yeah we're we're uh lindy lindy hop blues you know lindy hop blues dancers over on our on our <laughs> side of the world yeah that's fun that's funny. Uh, very nice now wait how old were you when you first started dancing oh that's actually not too long ago i just started two years ago gotcha yeah no that's super cool it, that's that's something that i know i have noticed a, a pretty big difference between europeans versus got you know especially got especially guys but got, you know here in the US there's not a huge emphasis on structured dance here as much i i've noticed mm-hmm. that there's a little bit more of a almost a, more of a cultural interest in it in europe than there is here in the US i don't know if you can speak to that or not but like most of the people that i talk to here it's like no i don't dance no, like, <laughs> but I think like, I think that's still the majority of people in Europe as well. I don't know, like, but it, it would be an interesting question. I don't know if there's a big difference. It's funny. Now the now with regard with regards to the growth of the organization, are you when when you're working on projects, when you're working on projects or different areas, like you mentioned the one in, specifically in Mexico that you've got a big focus on right now? Wh- how do you pick these locations, or how do you at least pick? the order in which you tackle these locations because i'm sure mexico wasn't the only option so how did you pick to focus on mexico and versus say some is some area in russia or india right Mm -hmm. then right then and there or do do you do you do you focus across the board 
So the trillion trees obviously need tree planting in, in many parts of the world. So there's lots of, there's plenty of opportunity. That being said, there's some parts of the world where it's more urgent and more important than in other parts of the world. Okay. And there's certain factors that play into it. The first one is biodiversity. Some parts of the world um, have a really high amount of biodiversity that's being endangered right now. And you want to plant trees there to protect that biodiversity. So there's about 2% of the global area mm. that's considered biodiversity hotspots. So okay. exactly valuable biodiversity that's in danger. Okay. So this is where you want to start planting start trees. Start there first. And, okay. And in Campeche, um, the, the, the project we do is, is part of these 2%. That's the one part of it. And then from a climate perspective, um, the faster a tree grows, the more carbon it captures. Sure. Um, so that, I, that's a very, very logical point, obviously. Um, but that, that means that in hot parts and in, in tropical parts of the world, the trees grow a lot faster and they store a lot more carbon. It. So it's far more valuable to plant, um, a tree in, in the tropics than to plant it in, in, in New England, for instance, Got it. because it's just gonna, um, gonna do a lot more. Got it. So for, from an organ, it, so, it sounds like with the program that you guys are planning on launching in June, that'll, that'll much more sort of crowdsource where people are and where they're going to plant as sort of part of your mission. But from an organized perspective, like you and your entire organization put effort like what you're doing in Mexico, you decide to focus on this one hotspot area. How far north of the equator have you gone with one of those projects in the past? Actually, for most of what we do at Plant for the Planet, it's our members, right? I've told you about our 70,000 members, those Chauvin youth, mm -hmm. um, and, and they plant trees in their cities, in their communities all around the world. And they okay. are in 66 different countries. Okay. And we planted trees in all of these. Um, obviously, um, these are often small numbers of trees often planted in cities, near cities, um, near communities. So these have been across the board. Mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the sense of the, the larger project, Campeches is the first one that we are um, doing, doing in that way. Okay. Um, and because we really wanted to create a model project there for, for other people to essentially copy. Um, but um, even more broadly, those trillion trees are a huge aim, and it's certainly not something that Plant for the Planet can do, right? It's, we, we're certainly sure. not going to plant a trillion trees ourselves. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to encourage other people to do the same. Um, um, and so, first of all, we want to have people start new tree planting projects like the ones in Campeche, Mexico, um, and, and just a plant in a large scale and, and all of these people are invited to visit our project and copy, right? That's what we want people to do, to copy our work okay. and do it themselves. But then there's also already lots of tree planting efforts around the world uh, that are really excellent at what they do, but, uh, but they might need more attention, more donors to support them. And that's exactly what we want to do with that platform, that Uber for tree planting, the, the trillion tree campaign platform that I mentioned um, earlier. Yeah. Um, it's allowing people to see all the fantastic work that's already happening around the world and then supporting these projects directly. Got it. Well, like, like you said, like you said, if, if the, if you break down the cost of it, it costs about a dollar or a year, you know, give or take a Euro per tree. It was like, if, if wishing made it so you don't have a trillion dollars, at least not yet. So it was like, yeah, th this does, this does have to be democratized a bit. Sure. Exactly. Gotcha. So now I, that, 
that pretty much hits everything that I want to hear about your organization. Like, the, the, is there is there anything that I didn't ask about your organization that you want to make sure the the audience of this show hears? I feel like we've covered all the all the big parts. Big yeah, parts of our sorry. Yeah, I get I get it. I I get into the nitty gritties about a, a, a little bit sometimes, just because that's how my brain works. <laughs> uh, but you know, with with regards to the the actual biodiversity, like how do you pick the trees for the for the local areas? And th- this, I'm really interested to see this program that you're putting out in June. I'm really excited to to take a look at this. Now, are are you rolling out information about that prior to prior to obviously outside of this interview? Like, are are you are you rolling out sort of what the details of that are to potential partners in that program, or is this fully an in-house project that you're going to release? We're working with different partners um, on on making it happen, and obviously, there's no secrecy here, right? We're not trying to and uh, not trying to keep this from from anyone. Um, cause we, we it's kind of hard, it's kind of hard to secretly plant trees. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And there's, there's, there's nothing like we kind of see it as it, it there's no competition, right? We want to plant those trillion trees. And if someone else plants a tree, that just means one less tree we have to plant. So, so as, as much as, as much as people, any, any tree is, um, saves us a lot of work essentially. So we, we, we do this as, as open as possible. And I'd be happy to, um, to share how, um, yeah, show you how how we're making progress on that platform. Got it. We are now um, currently currently developing the last few few pages on the platform, and then in about a month we're gonna start the the um, debugging, the bug fixing um, part of it, and then <laughs> we set ourselves a three, general three years later. <laughs> yeah, we set ourselves a, ge- a generous deadline by June, okay. so we should be more than ready by then um, to launch with any any bugs and and anything ready yeah. to go live. That's great. Now, um, la- last question that I have for you about your organization, which for anybody that has seen you, as you know, the audience is listening. Obviously, you're only hearing the audio of this conversation, but if you're listening, you know, Felix and I are actually seeing each other in video. He's a rather slender tall slender tall fellow but if you look at his website the seeming graphic for him is a what looks like a one and a half foot tall pudgy like pudgy cartoon cartoonish character who on earth did that to you (laughs) that's actually a really interesting question um when when that that communication agency I told you about, who did this pro bono, they developed our like um, CI, you know, um, um, and and our design, and, and and for some reason I became really overweight <laughs> in that design. <laughs> they they made of me, although in real life I am actually um, certainly more too thin than 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 overweight, but but I guess, <laughs> but but it's it's cute. I think it, these little round humans are rather cute. I don't. I don't disagree. The caricatures on the website are hilarious. But yeah, I, I, when I when I looked at when I looked at that, and then I looked at you know when I first came across like videos of you on YouTube, and now obviously that we're talking, I'm like, who, who did that to him? He's <laughs> like, he's like, who was the yeah, sick yeah. joke? He's <laughs> like, what was the sick joke that did that to him? <laughs> <laughs> the glasses are a common theme though so those really connect me with my with my avatar i guess very true very true no that's great um now Felix, i think that's a really solid place to wrap up i heard a lot of really great information about you and your organization um tell me one tell me one thing the i have a, one question that i ask all of the guests on the show 
And it just kind of circles back to the purpose of the show being radical incrementalism. Like what's the, what's the small incremental things that people can do that can, can actually make a noticeable difference in their lives or the lives of others. So with that, what is a purchase that you've made in recent memory of a hundred dollars or euros, a hundred dollars or less that's made the biggest impact on your life or the life of somebody you know or your organization. Can you think of anything under the $100, $100 mark? That's a really tough question. But actually, um, yesterday I just put out a bid for a domain that would be really cool for our for the platform. I can't say it yet because I don't have the domain yet and I don't want anyone anyone to try and get it. <laughs> but but I hope I hope in a few days I'll know if, if we if we get that domain and it's it's where we would then launch the platform I told you about. That is awesome. And actually we're we're gonna be releasing the we're gonna be releasing this episode. The, if you're if you're listening to this episode, you know, if you're listening to this episode, this will be getting released, you know, the third week of March. But if Felix does get the domain that he wants maybe we'll put that comment in the uh the intro or the outro to the show or in the show notes so <laughs> it was like cr- cross your fingers everybody hope he gets what he wants anyway <laughs> felix i appreciate your time sir thank you very much keep at it thank you it was lovely talking to you Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I really enjoyed that conversation with Felix. I hope you did as well. Really quick before you go, please go ahead and subscribe to the show in whatever program you're listening to it on right now, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or Overcast, whatever it might be. Go ahead and subscribe. We've got some really great episodes coming up. Also, go ahead and follow me on Twitter. You can find me at Jason Hertzberger. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation with Felix, and frankly, I haven't had a conversation that made me think that I squandered my childhood um, any more than this one has in quite some time. So, Felix, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. That said, this kid is working on some really amazing stuff. I really wish the best for him and hope to have him back on the show at some point in the future just to keep everybody abreast of his progress with his organization, Plant for the Planet. Go ahead and check out that website, plantfortheplanet.org. There is a dash in between each of those words, plantfortheplanet.org. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show. I really appreciate you. You've got this.